of you weren't even born in 1985. I was actually in college in 1985. So obviously, I started college very young at like 10 years old. Actually, that's not true. I just lied. So I'll, I'll take communion and I'll be right with God. But, uh, you know, I just use really good makeup. Anyway, so we've been married. My wife and I have been married for 20, it'll be 25 years this fall. It has flown by. But, uh, you know, sometimes there have been ups and downs. Any of you marrieds relate to that? Yeah, sometimes I call it, it's, it's not just the years, it's the mileage. And uh, we, I think we've uh, put on quite a bit of mileage. And uh, you'll get a great opportunity to hear from my wife uh, when she gives her testimony before we take communion here at the end. Um, so I received my bachelor's in architecture. You know, it's such a relatable field to uh, counseling. I mean, duh, right? Anyway, I worked as an architect for 17 years, and then I decided to change my career because, honestly, I felt like I want to help people more, just more directly. I was leading Bible talks, and I felt like I just feel like I need to do something to help more. So at the age of 41, I went back to school, and then I graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary with my marriage and family therapy degree. And I I specifically went to Fuller because I wanted to make sure I got uh, the Christian perspective as well as learning about all of the psychology that I need to know. So, and right now I have a private practice in Pasadena, and uh, I've been part of the Lifeway ministry. It used to be a central, central region. I'm still not used to Lifeway. It's always been the central region. Um, but, uh, you know, I bring greetings from uh, Marty and Chris Fuquay who lead us in that ministry. So a lot of you know them. So my, these are my prof- professional credentials. Uh, the one I highlight is the very first one. I, I worked for a number of years with what they call transitional age youth. Uh, if, you, if you're familiar at all, that is the age group from 16 to 25. That is probably the highest risk age range right now as far as counseling is concerned because that is the age of foster care kids aging out and trying to adjust to life. Uh, I worked with kids who were tweakers, uh, cutters, uh, suicidal. I had a client actually commit suicide. Um, it, you know, it's tough. We, I was on call. You know, I'd get home and then... I'd get a call from the police and say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And I'd like, okay, there goes dinner. I'm going out to kind of help out here. But I loved it. I loved helping in that age range. Um, it reminded me how many needs there are. And even if you're beyond that age, because I can look out in the crowd, and a few of you are a little bit older than that. But uh, we, we all have needs. And I think, uh, you know, today as we begin this three-part series, hopefully I can help you with that. But before we start, I'm going to show you a video here. It's kind of like a training video of what I do as a therapist. So as soon as uh, we're done with the video, you'll you'll have a much better idea of how counseling works. Okay? You guys ready for this? All right, fasten your seatbelts. All right, here we go. We could, can we dim the lights a little bit, actually? That'd be great. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, Yes, come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, still being uh, buried alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And, uh... 
Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, still being uh, buried alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm... Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. Yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, no, childhood. No, no, no. We, we, we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Well, I, I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't, I don't make change. Then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you, would you like to address? <clears throat> Whew, uh, 
I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! Not of some kind? Don't, don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me... No, 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 no. No, we, we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, just stop it. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! You, you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. Don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh -huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Catherine? like this therapy at all you're just telling me to stop it and and you and you don't you don't like that no i don't so you think we're we're moving too fast is that it yes yes i do all right then let me uh, let me uh, give you 10 words that i i think will uh, clear everything up for you uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one all right Ready? Mm -hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! All you need, so we'll be good. So, um, you know, obviously we're, we're going to talk a bit about um, kind of what, what, oops, we got the teen camp coming up here, guys. Did I do that? Okay. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the Bible, obviously, but I'm also going to be talking about, from my perspective as a therapist, ways that we can, we can recognize maybe the needs that we have that have been harder to meet, things that have been harder to change. So we're going to integrate both psychology and our faith together. Everybody with me on that? Okay, let me see if I can get to the next slide. There we go. All right. Thank you very much for the help back there. So we're going to start. It says spiritual salvation means healing. This will be our first message, and the subtext is overcoming deep wounds. So for a preview, the next two messages are right there. So the second one is going to be spiritual growth, not just change. And then the third message will be spiritual parenting by example. So exciting, coming to a theater near you. So can't wait for the trailers. Okay, so we're going to start here. We're going to start with that subtitle, What Are Deep Wounds? I want to explain that a bit, and it really is the human story for each and every one of us, okay? Think about growing up and what were your shaping influences. It was obviously family members, right? Right? All right, all right, just checking, just checking. You know, our parents, our siblings, 
maybe even extended family, our cultural traditions. You know, my family was an immigrant family from China, so we had traditions and values sort of that, that my parents brought over from there. We have external circumstances that also shape us. You know, our financial standing. But there's so many other external circumstances. And then we have, obviously, our personal experiences. Maybe we've suffered some tragedy in our lives. And maybe some trauma as well. So we all have things growing up that shape who we become. Does that make sense? So why does that matter? Well, it matters because it all affects us growing up. Oops. And so what we see is that in childhood, even in, through the teenage years, that's the most vulnerable time of our lives. You know, that's the time that we are like a sponge and we take in all that we can, good, bad, and even ugly. But more importantly, what that does going forward is it also forms this pattern for how we interact in our adult relationships. Everybody see, see what I mean by that? And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about some examples of that. But, you know, what I, what I think happens for many of us, I kind of summarize it this way, is when we're growing up, there are always good things that we remember, right? Good memories we have, the best fifth, you know, fifth grade birthday party in our lives, those kind of things. But there are also things that have been difficult in our lives. And God gave us instincts, survival instincts, to get through those tougher times. You know, that's that fight or flight. When things are tough, you know, we, we figure out whether we're going to fight and work through the situation or flee from it in order to survive it. The thing I've noticed is that when we sort of travel in our lives to adulthood, when we've been in that survival mode for much of our upbringing, and we get to our adulthood where it's no longer like that, but we still have those survival kind of instincts, it doesn't serve us as well in our adulthood. And because we're so used to that, then we're kind of like, well, what do I do now? You know, now I'm married. Wait, what do I do when I have a conflict here? And sometimes it's fight or flight, right? Are you with me? Okay. So the question becomes here, hey, what are your deep wounds? Maybe it is trauma. Maybe there's been abuse in your life. Maybe it's some violence that you've experienced or even witnessed. And then there's, there's what we always are familiar with, depression, anxiety, negative thinking, maybe the fears of our lives, fear of abandonment. What is your deep wound? We all have them. You know, in my next uh, lesson, I'll share more about my own situation growing up. But I want us to think about, hey, what are the deep wounds that I've had to battle 
not just through childhood, not just through adolescence, but even now as an adult that, that really haunt me sometimes. Because ultimately, where they show up is in our relationships. Don't they? Isn't that true? Kelly, is that right? All right. I remember Kelly from way back when, too. But you'll notice the first relationship I have up there is who? Did you know you have a relationship with yourself? You know how you know that is sometimes you don't feel good about you. That's what I mean. It's all about relationships. That's where the impact of those deep wounds show up. Maybe it's your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids. You know, I remember, I'll share this. You know, I remember growing up with my dad. I did not have a great relationship with my dad. And I remember swearing in my mind as I was a teenager, I said in my, in my mind, I said, I'm never going to be like my dad. And then I have a, I have a son. And, I, you know, I, I call them out-of-body experiences. You know, I get into a conflict with my son, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking at him, but I'm looking at me, and holy cow, who's this? It's my dad. Freaks me out. Isn't that an out-of-body experience? Okay, so I'm not crazy. So I can say that. I'm a therapist, so I'm not crazy. But, you know, those deep wounds show up in our relationships today. Anybody feel that? If you feel that, say amen. Amen. Okay, so it's not just me. So we have deep wounds. But But you say, wait, but I became Christian. You know what? I lead a Bible talk. I'm an evangelist. I don't know, whatever. But guess what? Deep wounds leave scars. I remember washing a glass one time. In, in the sink, and then it just broke in my hand. I was kind of putting my hand in it, and immediately my hand started bleeding. Went to the hospital, had to get stitches. Guess what? I still have a scar. Amen. See, deep wounds leave scars. They leave scars in memories. They leave scars in feelings. Sometimes they leave scars physically, you know? So what are your deep wounds? I want you to, you know, this is where we participate and think about it for ourselves. I want to tell you about, uh, I'm going to share three different clients that I've had because I think it's helpful to talk about these things in a practical sense. So this, this client of mine, his name is Michael. His name really isn't Michael. But like the FBI, we've changed his identity for everybody's safety. Um, he's a 31-year-old Caucasian male, single. He's going to uh, school part-time at a community college. He's working part-time. And the issues he came to counseling for was being overbearing and extremely confrontational in all of his relationships, as well as uh, compulsive and obsessive behaviors. So just remember this. Obsession is about what you think. Compulsion is about what you do. Okay? That was a freebie. (laughs) But those were the things he came in for. 
Yeah, you're welcome. All right. I'm giving away gifts today. But if we look at, you know, the, the family history, we can start making sense of why those issues are there. So both of his parents were drug addicts. Actually, his dad was a drug dealer. And in one of our sessions, he, he was recounting how he'd be at home and there'd be these total strangers in his house because his dad was dealing. And he was a kid growing up. He was, one of, he was the oldest of three brothers, three boys. But because both of them, both of his parents were drug addicts, he was pretty much left to raise his two younger brothers. So you see that's, that term there, parentified. So that's the idea that as the kid, you had to become the parent. So he had to become the parent, and he had to cook for his two brothers. He had to kind of make sure they were ready for school, all that sort of stuff. So he kind of had to grow up really quickly. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And so the other thing that struck people as he kind of went about things growing up and he was in high school is they thought, wow, we like your son. He's really independent. Translate that. Mom and dad weren't around. Do we see how there's these deep wounds that kind of have an impact? Okay. These are clues and maybe they help you think about your own situation. Okay. But he, um, you know, he, he had to raise his brothers. He had to take care of himself. And so when, whenever you've experienced that, you kind of learn to do things a certain way because you had to figure it out. So that's where his obsessive and compulsive behaviors come in. Things had to be a certain way. He was one of those guys that would walk by a stack of papers, and he, if you notice, they were kind of not situated the right way. He had to stop and fix them. He would get into conversations at a party, and uh, he had to be right. Somebody brings up a certain topic that was, you know, maybe opinion-based, but he had to be right because he had to take care of himself. He had to take care of what was right and what was wrong. He described his mother when he thought about her when he was growing up as a hurricane. Just all over the place. So can you see why he might need things to be orderly? Be a certain way? Because the rest of life, strangers in your house, was chaos. So order had a meaning to him. This is the impact growing up. Let's talk about Thomas. That's not his real name either. And he's not in the church, so don't try to figure it out. I know we do that, don't we? Like, oh, Asian American? 32 year and a half? Yeah, I, I think I know who that is. You don't, you don't. All right, so he's married, just, just had his five-year anniversary, actually. Uh, has a one-and-a-half-year-old son, and he's an engineer. His parents were immigrants here from Asia. So he comes to me because he says, I need to deal with how my parents 
influence in my life produces this approval-seeking tendency. Now, I'm Asian, so I know that is very culturally based. Okay, so that's how culture it can influence us. Okay? What else he say there? He says, so he's coming also because he says that his wife complains that he does not protect her. This rose from a fight. This is the fight that brought him into therapy. It was Thanksgiving, and whatever kind of event they had kind of put his wife at odds with his parents. So Asian parents, okay? Very sort of pleasing, accommodating. So guess whose side he took? Parents, ding, ding, ding. All right, there will be free prizes for you for getting that right. <laughs> and so, so what that ultimately also revealed to me as a therapist was he had a problem speaking up or advocating for himself. Because actually in his marriage, there are times he actually appeases her because of that same familiarity with whoever is in my life, I'm going to try to please them. Okay, And so you see the family history there. Um, what's interesting to me that we've kind of developed an understanding of a theme in his life is he's one of two sons, and his younger brother has special needs. He's autistic and will always need care. So all of the attention for mom and dad went to him. And so again, there's an experience of growing up, taking care of himself, and even ultimately he knows he, when his parents pass on, he's going to have to be the caregiver for his brother. So again, that develops this appeasing kind of personality. Others come first. And that, that created a lot of conflict in his marriage. And so these are, these are you know, cases, clients that I have where their sort of upbringing has impacted them, and it's sort of carried on through their adult life. How about you? Are the gears going here? Are you relating like, oh, well, for me, this is the deep wound, and I can see it clear as day, operating, okay, we got a nod over there, uh, operating today. And so deep wounds are real, aren't they? So here's then the impact on us individually. So what's the impact on me? And the soul in the middle just represents who we are, okay? How I view what people kind of are made of, so to speak, are our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions or our behaviors. You know, if you have this feeling like being scared, then it's going to affect what you think about, right? You're going to think, oh my gosh, are all the doors in the house locked? And then you're going to start to take action and behave in response. You're going to go around the house and check all of the locks on the door. Do you see how all three of those are related? Sometimes it's a thought you have first. Did I lock the car door? Oh, then you start feeling what? Anxious. Then what's your behavior? You go check it, right? 
So that's, that's pretty benign, but that's an example of what I mean by the impact of these deep wounds. It starts affecting our feelings, our thoughts, our behaviors. Now, which one do you think is the hardest for us to sort of get in touch with? Feelings. I think the wives are thinking, yeah, my husband has a really hard time getting in touch with his feelings. He has a hard time getting in touch with my feelings. Yeah, so a lot of times in therapy, you know, I'll ask people, hey, so what are you feeling about that? Like if I had a couple in, in session and one of them is talking about their frustration or whatever, and I say, so, so what are you feeling? And they might say, well, I feel like he's a jerk. <laughs> Guess what? Not a feeling. It's a thought. It's hard for us to get in touch with our feelings. He, he might be a jerk. <laughs> not not going to discount that. But that's not a feeling. You might feel angry because he's behaving like fill in the blank. Oh, okay, all right, there we go. Well, I didn't even ask for group participation. That's great. This is a great crowd. I'll remember to bring jokes next time. Okay, so, so that's the impact on us. And this is how, as a therapist, and you can do this too, you can be a therapist too is notice where the problems show up then in your own life. And there are basically three areas that I kind of look at. Your social life or your relationships, if there's a lot of conflict, for example, then, wow, it's showing up there. Maybe it's in your daily activities as far as work. You know, maybe at work you're so unfocused because you're so overwhelmed. Or maybe you're a student, and academically, you know, I, I see this as a common pattern. Something traumatic happens for a student in their life. And all of a sudden, those grades that are just cruising up here take a nosedive. And as a therapist, those are clues. Okay, so we look at our daily functioning and see, hey, to what degree is there an impact of those deep wounds in our lives? So you can take inventory of your own life. Do you find it hard to get up out of bed? I have a client who is 20 years old, college student, and it is impossible at times because of how severe his depression is for him to get out of bed. So what is the impact on your daily activities? So here's, a, here's another client that I, I love this guy. He, he was the original OG. I mean, he, he was, uh, so he's 58 years old, Latin male. He had his hair back in a ponytail, a really short ponytail. He had, he had dark frame glasses like this, but they're all shaded in. Kind of a heavy set dude. I, I mean, I could just imagine, now he drove a PT Cruiser, right? But I could imagine a uh, Harley. I love this guy. So he married four children, 14 grandchildren, one grandchild. One, one great-grandchild, sorry. The issues he came in for were PTSD and anxiety. He was actually referred to me because he was a first-year student at Fuller Seminary 
getting his marriage and family therapy degree. But he, uh, he said to me, I need to deal with my past relationships with my parents. I mean, this guy is 58 years old when he comes to me. I can't tell you how many sessions we had where he cried and he cried and he cried. He had difficulty with authority figures in his life, beginning with his parents, specifically his dad. Um, so here's the family history. He's the oldest of 10 kids, and so he was, he was the big brother. Mom and dad would always get into fights. Dad was an alcoholic. Uh, he was very violent with his w wife, uh, my client's mom. And he would always, as the oldest, have to, his brothers and sisters would urge him to step in. And he would. But one time at, when he was 15, he stepped in, and he doesn't even remember how, but he broke his dad's arm. And from that point, he was kicked out of the house. His siblings turned on him like, what were you doing? And they're the ones urging him to step in. So he grew up on the streets. And guess what? He, he joined gangs. He, he said he, he joined gangs only to feel protected from other gangs. And in his life on the street, he witnessed murder. One of his brothers was murdered. Um... You know, he, he told me a story about sitting on his front lawn with an, another buddy of his, and a car just drives up, and he, he just said, you just don't move. You just don't move. Um, and, and how it came out, too, was with the challenge with authority figures. His dad was always kind of ridiculing him, made fun of him in front of his, uh, dad's friends, so he never felt like he belonged. And uh, when he went to Fuller for school, he said he always sat in the back of the class. Do you know why he did that? Why do you think he did that? Okay, somebody louder. Safety. Because if you sit in back, everything's in front of you. And then he'd, he'd take tests, and the teacher would walk, the professor would walk around, and he would start shaking. And he described it as his mind would go blank. That's that flight or fright, you know, fight or flight kicking in. For him, it was real. People died if you didn't keep things in front. And the professor represented an authority figure, like his dad. And so the mind goes blank for him because you can't think about anything else except survival. Okay? And I was really proud of him. In the, in the time that we worked together for about two and a half years, he began to move up, and he ultimately, in some of his classes, sat at the very front of the class. You know how hard that is? Because there's all this danger behind you but he wanted to overcome and he wanted to change but it took everything in his strength to do that 
But I love him because he, he took a little bit longer. He had a learning disability that was never diagnosed. Now you're going back to school at 58. I went back to school at 41, and I didn't know if I could do it. 58, 14 kids and one great, or 14 grandkids and one great grandkid later, he's going back to school. Well, he graduated with his degree, and that was awesome. But this is an example because I think we can talk about these deep wounds all we want, but I think it's helpful to hear how it plays out in people's lives. Because for each one of us, it plays out somehow, and then it bleeds into our current relationships. So these are the areas of healing we need, right? In those same areas, behaviors. You know, sometimes sleep disturbance, when you can't sleep, it isn't just you can't sleep. Sometimes your mind is racing. Sometimes when we're, we have emotional issues, guess what? We have physical problems. Stomach aches before the big test, anybody relate? Chest pain because you're having a panic attack. Areas of healing in your thoughts. Sometimes we have these racing thoughts. They're like, you know, it's like in your mind you're on the freeway. You just can't stop. Worry, negative thinking. In our emotions, we have areas of healing. Maybe we have mood swings. You know, maybe anxiety is so part of our lives. You know, we're so worn out because we're constantly nervous about things. Loneliness. Loneliness is a feeling. You know, I've had clients describe being with people and feeling lonely. You know, because there's so much going on in our lives that we just don't know that people can relate to. All right, now that I brought you way down into the pit. <laughs> Stop it. Thank you for that. Stop it. All right, so spiritual salvation means healing. What do I mean by that? So Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of Adam and Eve, right? And in that, oops, in that scripture, it talks about actually how uh, Jesus and the devil are going to face off. And Jesus is going to crush his head, and he's going to hit his Jesus' heel. But what that also means is that's when sin came into the world, but also suffering, disease, all came into the world. Suffering from deep wounds. I had a theology class at Fuller. I had to take four theology classes. Those were harder than the uh, psychology classes, by the way. Anyway, I had to write a paper on salvation, and the TA asked me, what do you think salvation means? And I said, oh, it's being right with God, going to heaven, blah, 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 blah. And he says, no, that's not what it means, actually. That's not what the word sozo means. It means, in the uh, bottom there, to make whole to heal, to be made complete. So salvation means to be healed. Okay? And here's some references to the word sozo in Scripture. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed or saved. Here's a couple other ones. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, sozo. 
but it's the same word as in Mark. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So healing actually is what salvation means. Actually, there's three sort of primary meanings to the, to the idea of salvation, but this is one of them, okay? That's why if you look at Matthew 9, and Matthew 9 at the very end is one that talks about, you know, people are harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. If you look at back up through chapter 9, Jesus is healing all these people. And it says in the scripture he is preaching, teaching, and what? Saving, healing, right? Sometimes I, th- I always thought like healing was a throw-in, <laughs> you know, like special powers. But it was salvation for people, right? So here, here's my challenge for us is how, how, how is salvation going to heal us? You've got to look back to move forward. And remember what Mr. T said? No pain, no gain. All right? No, he said, he just said his prediction was pain. All right. So look back to move forward. So no pain, no gain. What, look at this quote. This is a book I'm reading. I would recommend this book if you want to read more about emotionally healthy spirituality. The quote is, looking to the past illuminates the present, but make no mistake about it, it is painful. Now, I'm sure that not, that does not excite anybody, right? Nobody likes pain, but guess what? It will, it will help you understand why you struggle today, but it will be painful. Are you willing to look? Oh, amen. Are you willing to look? All right, all right, just checking. So what's the goal of looking back? Well, it says here in the scriptures, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. The goal is to train yourself to be godly. You know, if you've been married long enough, you realize you can't change your spouse. They have to want to change to be godly. Right? So my wife's going to share later. And it says, for the, spirit of God, the, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Here's what I say about that scripture. Yes, God gives us the spirit of self-discipline, but you can't be self-disciplined if you are not self-aware. He gives us the spirit. It's sort of like it's waiting there. It's just waiting there to be tapped. But if you're not self-aware, if you do not know what's going on for you, you know, those, are, those are the highlights there. If you cannot figure out and be in touch with what's going on for you, why did I explode like that last night? Why do I repeatedly blank, whatever that is, fill in the blank? You're not aware of that underlying wound that is there. That's the goal. Here's another quote. Those who cannot learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. So when people ask me, hey, how do I know if I need to go to therapy? And I, I tell them, well, first thing I tell them is, I think everybody needs a little bit of therapy. 
Amen to that? All right, I really like you guys. Um, but the second thing I say is, well, you, you kind of know you have to go if you repeatedly do the same thing over and over. Yes, brother, I'm going to repent. And over. Yes, sister, you're right. I should have. And over. Yes, honey. I, and over. There's something you're not aware of. It's like below the surface. So it doesn't matter if you can see above the surface. When it's below the surface, that's when it repeatedly happens in our lives, and we need some help. Amen? Amen. So, then the last question for today is, do you want to get well? You know, it says here that the invalid was there at the pool, the healing pool, for a month? A year? 38 years. Some of us are 38 years old. I'm almost 38 spiritually. But Jesus finally says to him, Hey, do you want to get well? I mean, it's right there. So that's my challenge today for you, is to ask yourself, do you want to get well? So a few things about what steps it will take. If you're going to look back, and I don't know your personal history, the first thought to remember is safety. For some of us, if it's trauma, see, safety trumps everything. That may be a reason why we don't look back. You know what? I left that behind because I survived it. And so if that's the case, then you may need help first just to get into a safe setting to talk about that. I remember I had a client, 21 years old, never met her mom, grew up with her grandmother, out of a, living out of a car. At 10 or 11 years old, she was standing at a fence just like around this place and goes, what is this, Grandma? says, that's a school. She'd never been to school at 10 years old. And I start talking to her about, hey, how come you're cutting yourself? She immediately starts. I mean, she, she hadn't even started speaking, shaking. That's trauma. So with her, I, I can't go right into it. So for some of us, that might be the case. So safety trumps everything. And if that's the case, probably some professional help would, would really do you well. Because even in a Christian environment, we have no idea what triggers each other, right? And then the second thing I say is, if you're the one listening, as someone's going to begin opening up, we have to have acceptance in our hearts. People are going to share, and we need to know we're not going to be judged. That's the, you know, being judged is the opposite of acceptance, and maybe that also relates to why it doesn't feel safe, even if it's not a trauma. Okay? But we have to, in our relationships with one another, if we're going to be open and talk about these things, we have to have an accepting, godly, unconditional, non judgmental spirit about helping each other. Amen? Amen?
Because if we do that, we will start feeling hope. We will actually start feeling there could be change in my life. I'm going to have my wife come on up. So at this time, I'm going to thank you. At this time, I'm going to pray, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you so much for how you have promises, visions, and dreams for our lives. And that even, as the Bible says, that you came to give us life and life to the full. God, as we examine ourselves and take the Lord's Supper, take the bread and the fruit of the vine, help our hearts to be open to being healed of the deep wounds that have gone on in our lives. And Father, if it's scary, help us to not be afraid. If it's painful, help us to know you'll heal us. Because Jesus died on the cross so that we could be set free. Father, we love you. We pray all this through Jesus. Amen.